Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Marriage, Divorce, and the Single Life. Well, today we're uh, continuing this series, uh, Changing the Way You Think, in 1 Corinthians. We come today to chapter 7. And, and chapter 7 deals with the topic of marriage and divorce and single life. And these were hot topics in the church of Corinth. In fact, they'd written a letter to the Apostle Paul. They had a bunch of questions. What was happening is apparently there were some in the church, and this is interesting because a lot of different teaching going on in this church, but there were some in the church who were teaching that, that if you're to be truly spiritual, to really grow up and follow Jesus, that you really need to, it, it would be better if you were single than married. Especially because if you're uh, married, you're going to be uh, have you know, regular sexual activity. And, and uh, there's always been throughout church history kind of this teaching, the kind of false teaching that sex is somehow bad. It's, it's, it's not as a good thing. And so there, this teaching was in the church there that if you wanted to be really spiritual and follow Jesus, uh, it would be better to be single, not have any sex. Now, it's really interesting because remember last week we had the opposite teaching going on in the church of Corinth. Last week we saw that there were people there who were teaching that all things are permissible and that in the realm of sexuality, that what we do with our body doesn't really impact our spirituality. And so this is the opposite extreme. And you know what? Throughout church history, you've always see these extremes. There's always some that say, if you really want to be tight with God, you really want to be close to God, you want to be spiritually mature, you need to deny yourself all physical pleasures, even legitimate pleasures. And that's a false teaching. On the other side, there's always been a strain going throughout church history of people who would rise up and say, if you want to be truly spiritual, just anything goes. We're not hindered anymore. No rules, you know. And of course, the truth is not at either extremes. The truth is in the middle. Uh, this was causing a problem for the church in Corinth. You can imagine they're new Christians. They're trying to figure out life. This teaching comes along. And so it's raising questions like, hey, I'm married. Uh, what does that mean? Should we still have sex or should we stop having sex in our marriage? Uh, well, we're married. Should we be better if we got a divorce? Could we serve Christ better if we were single? Uh, hey, I'm single. I was planning on getting married. Should I not get married? Uh, you know, well, hey, I'm married, but I'm married to a non-Christian. And my, my, my husband or wife, she's still out there partying, going to idol worship. I mean, should I still like be married to them or is that being disloyal to Christ? You can see how this would happen. And so they write this letter to the Apostle Paul with all these questions. And so Paul begins to answer these questions in chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 7. And you'll notice there on your note sheet that we ha- I've split it up this, uh, into four, uh, four questions that they were asking. And question number one is... Uh, by, by Christians in the congregation that we're, it says we're, we're married, um, but should we still have sex? And of course, you might say, well, that's kind of an odd question, but in light of the teaching that was there, apparently, that uh, sex was a bad thing, they were saying, well, maybe we should just abstain. And so, fortunately, Paul said no. Chapter 7 and verse 1. He says, now, for the matters you wrote about, so they'd written him a letter, and they, uh, he says, uh, it's good for a man not to marry. Now, from what we know, this was probably a quote. It was one of their slogans that was going around. If you were here last week, you know that there were several slogans or sound bites being going around the church. One of them was that all things are permissible. We looked at that last week. This is likely another quote. Now, you'll notice it's not in quotation marks 
And we learned last week that in the Greek language, there are no quotation marks, so you have to figure out where to put your quotes based on the context. The translators of the NIV felt like this wasn't a quote. The fact is, most modern commentators think it was a quote. In fact, if you have an NIV, an international version, there's a footnote for this verse, and they actually give the alternate translation. So if you have an NIV, look at the bottom, and it says, uh, here's the, in quotes, uh, that it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, this was probably the quote that was going around. It's, it's like, hey, it's a good thing not to have sex. Literally, in verse 1, what it says is, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. In the Greek language, that's what it says. It's good not to touch a woman, and that's a euphemism for not having sex. So, so apparently there's a slogan going around the church. It's a good thing not to have sex. And Paul says, well, yeah, there's, there's some truth about there's value to being single. He'll t- come back to that in a minute. He says, but, in verse 2, since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And the husband should f- fulfill his marital duty to his wife. In other words, if you're married, it's important that you make your sexual relationship a priority. And he says, likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body, you know, the two, have, the two have become one, so the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone. So when you two people become one, you, you share bodies now, so to speak. You know, it's like you're not, what you do with your body is not just up to you. And sexually, that means that if you're married, you have a responsibility to meet the sexual needs of your spouse and vice versa. So verse 5, he says, so do not deprive each other, sexually he's talking about, do not deprive each other sexually, except by mutual consent, so as you both agree to it, certainly not to be used as a weapon, and for a time. It's a temporary uh, uh, temporary abs, uh, uh, holding back, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So just like sometimes we might fast from food in order to seek the Lord, a time of spiritual, you know, uh, uh, time with the Lord. So in the same way, then there might be time where a couple says, you know, we're going with, to with, withdraw from sexual relations right now just so we can focus on prayer. Paul says, that's great, as long as it's, you know, for a short time. He says, however, uh, he says, then you need to come Come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So he says, you know, if you're married, you need to be having a strong sex life because if you don't, you're putting your partner in a place of vulnerability uh, through temptation. Now, verse 6, I, I say this is a concession. It's not a command. In other words, I'm not commanding you have to be married. But I wish, I wish uh, that all men were as I am. And we'll see this several times for this letter, uh, this chapter, that Paul was a single man. Uh, he most likely had been married and something had happened to his wife. That's what most scholars believe. But he was a single guy and he really liked being single because it allowed him to focus on his ministry, focus on the Lord. And so throughout this chapter, he'll mention that many times. He'll keep encouraging us, hey, think of it as an option. If you're not married, think of it as an option. But, um, but he understands as he goes on to say in verse 7, <clears throat> I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. We have different callings in life. One has this gift of being married, another has that gift of being single. And so that's, that's the, the first. So the first question is, hey, we're married, should we still have sex? He says, yes, absolutely. In fact, you need to make it a high priority to have a strong sexual relationship to protect your marriage, okay? So that's question number one. Let's turn the page. Let's go to question number two. The second question they had was by single adults. Now, Many of you are here are single, and if you're single, you're aware of this, that there's many different kinds of being a uh, single life, right? Some of you are single, you've never been married. 
Some of you are single, you've never been married, and you're a virgin. You've never had sexual uh, intercourse. Some of you are single, but you were once married. You're now di- you're, you're divorced. Some of you are sing- uh, single now, but you were once were married. Your spouse died. So we have at least four categories of singles. And so the Apostle Paul will address each of these uh, conditions. You know, if you're, what if you're single and unmarried, like you once were married, and so on, widowed, and so on. So we're going to jump around. This, this passage is a long passage today. And so um, I, I checked with Rob, and he said we could go to one or so. Um, no, we're not going to cover every verse. It's so long, we're, but we're going to focus on the verses that uh, specifically address these questions that they were, were raising. So we'll be jumping around on the single section. But let's start at verse 8. He says, to the unmarried and the widows. So unmarried would probably be people that were once married and now divorced. That's probably what he's talking about, because later he's going to talk to virgins. Um, now to the unmarried and to widows, I say to them, it's good for them to stay unmarried. In other words, uh, again, encouraging us to consider that as an option. But if they cannot control themselves, again, sexually he's talking about, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. He says, if you're single and you've just got sex on the brain, and you, he says, you know, uh, don't try to be, you know, oh, I'm going to be so spiritual and just serve the Lord. You're just always obsessed with sex. It'd be better to um, to just, you know, if God brings along the right person, go ahead and get married. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's a good option. So it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's go skip over to verse 25. Now about virgins. So now here's another category of single. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, Jesus never directly, uh, directly addressed this. I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis. Now honestly, we don't know what he's talking about here. Uh, there was apparently some crisis going on in the church or society there. Uh, maybe it was persecution, we don't know. But he says, because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for you to remain as you are. In other words, single. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Uh, Paul's very aware that marriage is not easy, right? Marriage often is a struggle. And so he says, hey, you know, and especially in light of this crisis, like imagine that you are in China right now and you were considering getting married, but, you know, Christians are being persecuted there. Imagine how hard it would be to be building a marriage if you're running for your life, you know? Okay, that causes many people to run for their life just anyway. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so um, back to the inspired text. Um, <clears throat> so, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this, okay? Now, here's one more category of uh, singles. He wants to talk about a little bit more is the widows or widowers, verse 39. So a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. In other words, marriage is for life. But if her husband dies, then she too is free to marry anyone she wishes. That's a good option. But he must belong to the Lord. And so he says, uh, you know, if your husband dies or your wife dies, uh, feel free to remarry again. That's a fine option. He says, but, and this would be his advice to all single adults, that they have to belong to the Lord. And and this is what I'd say to those who are single at this point, is that um, when belonging to the Lord doesn't mean that they're just okay with church, you know. 
Belonging to, to the Lord doesn't mean that once when they were uh, eight years old, they prayed a prayer at VBS. Belonging to the Lord doesn't mean that, yeah, they kind of believe in God. You know? Belonging to the Lord means belonging to the Lord. You've given your life to Christ. They're a follower of Christ as you are. You don't want to be unequally yoked, as another part of Scripture says. Okay? So that's his advice to singles. If you're single, um, you know, he says, hey, really consider the option of staying single. There's a lot of benefits to being single. He'll talk about them more. And he said, so really take a good look at that. But if you feel like you want to get married and God brings the right person along and they're a Christian and so on, feel free. That's, that's fine. Okay, third question. The third question they had is, we're a Christian couple. Should we stay married? Now, this might seem odd to us. It's like, what are you talking about? We, we kind of know. We, we know the drill. Your Christian is supposed to stay married. It's an odd way to put it. But remember, they were, in, they were new Christians, and they were in a context where some were teaching, hey, you, it's much better to serve the Lord if you're single. Even Paul's saying that. And, you know, hey, sexuality is not a good thing. And so they're saying, we want to follow Jesus in our life. Should we stay married? How does God feel about that? And so what we will see here is that God is all for marriage. In fact, Paul will actually change his language at this point. Up to this point, he's given us options. Hey, you want to be married or don't want to be married, right? It's your option. But at this point, he changes his language to command. He says, I'm going to give you a command, and the reason the language changes is because his teaching is based on the direct teaching of Jesus himself about marriage. And so let's look what he says in verse 10. He says, uh, to the married, I give this command. Notice command. And he says, not I, but the Lord. In other words, this one on this issue, the Lord has spoken directly to this. And here's the command that a, a wife must not separate from her husband. So, so you're, you're Christians in the church of Corinth. You've come to Jesus. Here's the instruction for you. A wife, you must not separate. Now, the word separate, uh, Paul uses that, the word separate and divorce to describe the same transaction. We use the word separate differently, don't we? Like, like uh, uh, oh, we're going through a separation. We know that means you're not getting a divorce. It means you're separating. When he uses the word separate, as we'll see in just a second, separate and divorce are used interchangeably. So what he's saying is, hey, you're Christians now. What should you do? You need to make this thing work. So he said, uh, verse 12, to the rest I say this, I not the Lord, or I, yeah, I not the Lord. Wait, no, I'm verse 10. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A man, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she's got a couple options. She can either remain unmarried, so that's fine. You, you, if it's getting, you know, too much conflict in the relationship. Okay, yes, you can separate uh, or get divorced, but remain unmarried. Or you can be reconciled to her husband. You can say, let's, let's get apart for a while, get some distance, let's get some new perspective on this, and then let's get back together. And he said, uh, and the same rules for the husband. A husband must not divorce his wife. So see, divorce and separation, they're used interchangeably there. So, of course, this was based on the teaching of Jesus. So there in your note sheet, I put an example of the teaching from Jesus, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, so marital unfaithfulness kind of brings a, a breach in the relationship. And so he says you have the option then of getting a divorce if someone has had an adulterous relationship. Uh, doesn't mean you have to. In fact, my experience has been is many times the strongest marriages 
are those who go through a situation like this, but fight through it and reconstruct their relationship. Many of you have gone through that here and you know what I'm talking about. So my counsel to a couple when they've gone through this is not necessarily, okay, you need to get out of the relationship. No, let's take this as an opportunity to kind of put this relationship under autopsy and see what happened. And let's really seek the Lord in this. And I find that when you have a husband and a wife who are willing to go through this, go through the forgiveness, but also look at maybe some of the dynamics that may have contributed uh, to the, this uh, affair, to look at that often that the marriage comes back, it's almost like a bone that's been broken and can come back. The healing is stronger than ever before. So Jesus is not saying that you have to get uh, a divorce, but he's saying if it's been broken in this way, that you do have that option. He says, um, and then he marries another woman. But if you, if you divorce your wife and it's not for that reason, uh, and marries another woman, you commit adultery. So Jesus was very clear on this, that in, in his day, there were many who said, hey, as long as I go through the right legal procedures, uh, I give my wife a certificate of divorce, as the law said, as long as I jump through the right legal hoops, God's good with it. And he says, no, no, no. It's really just like legalized divorce or legalized adultery. When you just kind of trade in your current spouse and uh, you do it legally and then get a new one, it's just kind of like legalized adultery, you see. And so Paul is going off of that. Now, I wish there was time today to talk more about this whole divorce and remarriage issue. And we just, we honestly just don't have time to go into it in depth. But I want to say this, that this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 is not designed to answer all of our questions about marriage and divorce. It was designed to answer these specific questions they had in response to this false teaching. And so um, it's not, it doesn't cover all the areas uh, of this whole divorce and remarriage thing. Um, I'm sure, though, that there were many people in the church at Corinth who were divorced. They've been divorced before they came to Christ, for example. They've now, they've, they've come to Christ. They're, they've been remarried in the meantime. And so I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, oh, this new marriage of yours doesn't count, you know, because you never should have been divorced in the first place, you know. He doesn't say, oh, you're living in uh, sin now, even though you're married, because it's, this marriage was never supposed to be. The Bible seems to teach that when we go through a divorce, even if it's not a divorce that God wants, that it's be a wrong divorce, that it truly ends that relationship. And so when we get remarried again, whether that should have ever happened or not, it's another issue. But when we get remarried again, that God honors that new relationship. It's not like perpetual adultery. You know, it's not like you're like always, uh, this is always thing. Here's the thing I would say to, the, to you, that if you've gone through a divorce and, and it never should have happened. You look back and you say, you know what? I just left because I was not fulfilled. I was just left. I was not happy. And now I see that that was a wrong move. I was wrong to do that. What do you do? Here's what the Bible would say. First of all, just like with any other sin, you come clean with it. You, you stop defending the decision. And you say, you know what? I got a divorce. I'm clear now. I should not have got a divorce. It was the wrong thing. You ask God to forgive you. And then you move on with your life just like any other sin. We, you know, we, we admit we were wrong, and then we move on with it. So this, this passage is really not teaching all the ins and outs of divorce and remarriage. It's really answering the question that, hey, we're married. We've come to Jesus now. What should we do? And the answer is you make your marriage work. And we'll talk more about that later on. Okay, now question number four. The last question is that they have is, I'm married to a non-believer. What should I do? And of course, like I mentioned earlier, um, this was a big issue. Hey, I'm married. I've come to Christ. My spouse hasn't. They're still worshiping idols. 
They might be involved sexually with other people in the uh, temple prostitution. Uh, they're out there. They're getting stoned. They're getting high in this, this kind of wild orgies they have and so on. And so I'm married. What should I do? We're, I want to be loyal to Christ. Should I divorce my spouse so I can be loyal to Christ? Do I honor the marriage vow? What do I do? And so Paul is addressing that here. So let's look at that. Chapter 7 and verse uh, 12. To the rest I say this, not uh, I not the Lord. So in this one, Jesus has not spoken to the specific situation. What if you're married to a non-believer? You never did. And so he says, uh, he says if, if any brother, so notice it's a brother, uh, uh, in other words, a Christian. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer, so it's a brother married to a non-Christian, she is will, and she is willing to live with him, then he must not divorce her. He needs to stay in the marriage. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and, and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. Now, what does that mean? The unbelieving husband sanctified through the wife. Well, we don't really know. It's one of those times we just wish Paul would be a little bit more clear. What are you thinking about? Could you just help me out here, you know? And so there's all kinds of theories. But here's one thing we know it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the husband is somehow saved like going to heaven, because we'll see in a couple verses, he says, stay with them because maybe they'll turn to Christ and be saved. So it's obviously that's not what he's saying. But there's some kind of a spirit, a positive spiritual impact that happens in a marriage where one is saved and the other isn't. So for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children, you know, would be unclean. He said, you know, otherwise, if there was something unholy about this marriage... You're still having sex with someone who's worshiping pagan gods or something. If there's something unholy about that, your kids would be polluted. But your kids aren't polluted, so we know you're, you're good to go. Okay, verse 15. However, if the unbeliever leaves, if they don't want in this marriage anymore, they, they can't take your new commitment to Christ, your new value system, well, let him do so. Let him leave. In other words, let them go through the divorce. A, a believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. In other words, you have to keep waiting for him to come back or, you know, you like put your life on hold. If they leave, then you're free to move on with your life. And God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So, you know, stay in the relationship, serve them well in the hopes that they will come to Christ, okay? So those are the four questions that they had and that he answers in this chapter. Now, the time that we have together, I want to talk to us as a church. You know, this whole series we're going through as a church, learning what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to learn to think a new way, to think like Jesus thinks? And this, boy, there's not a more important topic that we could talk about in this. And how do we approach our marriages? If we're single, how do we approach our single life? And so if you're here today, you're in these categories. You're either married and you're married to a Christian. You're married, you're married to a non-Christian. You're, you're single and you have to decide whether to get married. So all of us, that takes in all of us. And so while this chapter is not a marriage manual, it's not about everything. That, you know, you, have to, you want to say what the Bible says on marriage, you have to study a lot more passages. What it does do is it lays out some basic groundwork of how to do relationships now that we're followers of Jesus in this very important area of marriage and singlehood. So let's jump in. There's a section. It's called The Marriage, Divorce, and the Single Life, God's Game Plan for Relationships. And so Paul wants to talk, first of all, to those of us who are married, and you're married to a Christian. So I want you to kind of self-identify. You know? So you know, if you're married, you're married to a believer, 
You're, you're both, uh, you know, come to Rocky Peak, or at least one of you, but you're, you're, you're believers. What is Paul's instruction for us? What does God's word tell us to do? Here it is. If you're married to a Christian, make it work. Now, I know this is discouraging to some of you. But hang with me here. Don't give up on me yet. What Paul says is that he wants us to understand that God created marriage and that if we're followers of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, your wife is a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, that one of our highest callings and priorities in life is to make our marriages work. And it doesn't just mean stick it out. It means make it work. All right? There's a difference. And we'll come back to that in just a second. Um, now, there's a sidebar here. I wish we had time for this. Um, we just don't. It's one of those topics, you know, this series, I, we're going to be in this series for two years unless we speed, you know, speed along. And so, um, there's, so, there's so many things I would love to, I would love to talk and say, let's talk more about divorce. Remarriage. Another thing I'd love to talk about is I would love to talk more about this whole topic of sex in marriage. Lynn, Lynn said not to. Um, um, but, uh, but we really, we just don't have time to really go into, uh, it, it, some more. But if you're interested in this, um, back in, in this year, early this year, I did a message in the Proverbs series on sex and marriage. And, and so I encourage you to, to pick that up. But let me just say a couple things before we move on. Here's all I'm going to say is one thing Paul says at the beginning of this chapter is that if you're married, it's incredibly important that you build a strong sexual relationship. Incredibly important. He says, if, it do, if we don't, we leave ourselves open and vulnerable for an affair. And it's just so important that we embrace this teaching. And so here's what I'd say to you. If you're a follower of Jesus here, you're married, and there's problems in this area of your marriage, and they can be complex, and there can be all kinds of reasons for it. They're not simplistic. Uh, sometimes it can be complex. Sometimes the reason the sex is so bad is because the relationship's so bad. Uh, sometimes there's physical issues. Sometimes there are uh, past issues of your past that are making this hard to enter into. But all I'm saying as your pastor is, the teaching of the Word of God is very clear that your sexual relationship is a very important glue in your marriage. And so if there's problems there, don't neglect it. Don't pretend it's not there. Move towards it. Look for, for solutions, okay? Now, the main thing I want to focus on in this point, though, is that Paul says that to make your marriage work, the first thing we need to do is make a commitment to our marriage, that we're going to stick with it no matter what. This is the most important uh, foundation for building a strong marriage, is a commitment that come hell or high water, we're going to make this thing work. Now you say, are there exceptions? Well, yeah, Jesus talked about an exception. Uh, there are, maybe there's some other ones. Maybe there's you know physical abuse that's going on. Unrep- there might be other things. But that's not what he's really talking about here. He's talking to Christians who are saying, should we stay married? He says, yes. And it starts with a commitment. It starts with a commitment that no matter what, we're eliminating the D word from our vocabulary and we are committed to make this thing work. And this isn't easy. I was thinking about this uh, this week as uh, preparing. I was thinking about my folks. You know, a lot of you know my, my folks. They come up at least once a month here to Rocky Peak and, and they're around. A lot of these great people. And... Uh, we've talked about this many times, how the early years of their marriage, the only reason that they stayed married was because of their commitment to Jesus. That they had a horrible marriage. It was painful. 
Uh, they both came from families that were pretty dysfunctional. And they didn't have role models of what a good marriage looked like. It was awful. And, and, and then they get married and they're both headstrong. And they're both real opinionated. And they're both wanted to have the control. And they butted heads at every issue. And it was horrible. And they've told me over and over again, Mike, if it wasn't for our commitment to Jesus, we never would have stayed married. You see? But the cool thing was, because they were committed to Jesus, not so much their commitment to one another. They weren't going to stay because of their love for one another. <laughs> they were done with that. Yeah. But it's because of the commitment to Jesus that they stayed in the marriage, and it gave them the motivation to figure it out. You see... When we give ourselves an out that I'm going to stay in this marriage, but if I'm not happy or if I'm not fulfilled or if it doesn't work, I'm going to give it my best. But if it doesn't work, well, then I'm out of here. Once we open the door to that, it undercuts our motivation for solving the problems, doesn't it? He said, we've given ourselves out. If it gets too painful, I'm out. It was so cool because several years ago, we had a party for them on our patio down in uh, at our home in Vista. And... It, it was a party, and the, the, uh, it was, it invited 50 people for 50 years, and they celebrated their 50 year anniversary. And I've learned so much from them. They're continuing to grow. They're in their 70s now and continuing to grow in their marriage. But how did that happen? It happened because of a foundational commitment that we're going to figure this thing out. And because of that commitment to Jesus, to follow Jesus as Christians, to make their marriage work, it forced them to find answers. I, I uh, years ago, read a book uh, by the, uh, the Parrots. They're, uh, they're on your note sheet. A quote. They're, they're Christian counselors. They have a great book called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. It's also a great book for saving it after it's uh, started. But uh, I, the name always cracks me up. You know, the, the Parrots, you know, Les and Leslie. Uh, anyway, um, but they cite a study in there. Uh, six, uh, three doctors who studied 9,000 marriages, 6,000 marriages, 3,000 divorces to figure out what is it that makes a marriage work. And, and this is what they said about commitment. They're in your note sheet. It says, there may be nothing more important in a marriage than the determination that it shall persist. There's, there's nothing more important in a marriage that you make a commitment that we're sticking it out. He says, with such a determination, individuals force themselves to adjust and accept situations which would seem sufficient grounds for a breakup if continuation of the marriage were not the prime objective. You see, in other words, once you give yourself an out, every mountain seems unscalable. Once you say, you know what, there is no out mountain, and there is no out, then it's like, we've got to climb that mountain. We don't know how, but we're going to have to figure it out. And for my folks, what do they do? They go back to the Bible. What's the Bible say about marriage? What does it mean to be a good marriage? What does it mean to compromise? What does it mean to give up your rights? What does it mean to change? What does it mean to be honest about areas you need to grow? And you see, we come back to God's word, and we grow through the process. See, marriage is not just about happiness. Marriage is about holiness. <laughs> marriage is the greatest laboratory in the world to, to show us our areas where we need to grow and to help us to grow in those areas. So he says, make it work. Now, before we go on, though, remember I said that there's a difference between make it work and stick it out. And I want to talk about that for just a second because there's a tremendous danger here. The tremendous, the danger is, I've seen this happen many times with Christian couples, where you have a couple, the marriage is in trouble, it's been marriage, it's been in trouble for a long time, but there's one of the parties, it could be the husband, it could be the wife, but there's one of the parties that knows it's in trouble, but chooses to ignore it. And instead of dealing with the issues, 
throws himself into the kids, throws himself into the career, uh, throws himself into a hobby or something else to deal with the pain, but I'm just not going to deal with that. And underlying it all is the assumption that, you know what, I could ignore this problem and I can ignore my spouse's pain because I know he or she will never leave me because we're Christians. And so this teaching where it says make it work, which is designed to motivate us to make it work, becomes an excuse to ignore the problem and it can lead to tragic consequences. I don't know how many times I've sat in my office and talked to someone who their spouse has been telling them for 15 years that we have a problem. We need to get counseling. We can't go on like this. We're living parallel lives. And this spouse just continues to ignore them, throwing themselves into whatever their alternative life is. And all of a sudden, and they assume that this person will always stay in the marriage because this is what Jesus said. We're Christians. And can I tell you something? It's a recipe for disaster. Because it's not the right thing to leave the marriage, even that situation. But you can push your spouse to the place of brokenness. You can create such a pain in their life that they come to a place they can't even see straight anymore. And all they can think about is getting away from the pain. And one day they leave you and you're left, and you're the most shocked person in the world because you say, you can't divorce me. We're Christians. And the spouse says, if you're a Christian, why have you not acted like one for so long in our marriage? And I tell you, man, it's just on my heart that if your marriage is in a place of pain, don't ignore the pain. And don't make excuses. Don't say, well, we can't afford counseling. Or, well, I can't change. It's just the way you, I am. Or it's just the way we are. Or there's too many hurts in our past. Or it wouldn't really help. Or we tried that once. Or I don't know. I can't trust them. I'm not sure. You know, we can just go on and on and on with all the reasons why we don't move towards the problem. But I tell you what, it is a recipe for disaster. And the end result is, is you'll be paying the price your whole life for that bad decision. And so this message here is not stick it out, it's make it work. You know, go to Christ, get counseling, go to people you trust, figure it out, but make it your top priority. If our marriage is sick, we need to make it work, okay? So that's his advice to Christians, that you call this, it's a life thing, make it work. Now, number two. Okay, there's some of us here who are married, but we're married to a non-believer. You may have, you may have gotten married uh, before, you may have been two pagans, <laughs> and uh, you came to Christ later. It may be that you knew what the Bible said about not marrying a non-believer, but you said, oh, I think I'll, I'll change her, or I'll change him. You know, we'll get married, and that just hasn't worked out so well. But whatever the case, if you're married to a non-Christian, here's what it says, stay and serve. Married to a non-Christian, stay and serve. Now, this is not easy. But remember, following Jesus, Jesus never promised it would be easy. He, he used things like, take up your cross and follow me. And so, he says, if you're married to a non-believer, stay with them because you might have the chance to influence them and save them. Now, the Apostle Peter talks about this. 
uh, as well. So Paul says, stay, you might save them. The Apostle Peter gives the same advice, same counsel in his little letter, 1 Peter. So why don't you take your Bibles and let's go there. 1 Peter chapter 3. That's just a hard thing, being married to a non-believer, even in the best of situations. You may be married to a non-believer who's very supportive of you, that they're, they're fine, you know, I'm glad it works for you. You know, you got Jesus in your life, glad it works for you. And, uh, and so I'll be very supportive. And yet that's painful, isn't it? Because you want to share the deepest parts of your life with your spouse. And if you can't share your relationship with God, how painful is that, you know? But of course, it's even way more painful if your spouse is antagonistic. They, they are ridiculing you or uh, resisting your, your values or, uh, or worse. So, but either way, both the Apostle Peter and Paul say the same thing. We need to stay in the relationship and try to be a, a positive influence. So in chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter is writing to wives who are married to non-believing husbands. But of course, the principles uh, to some degree would apply both ways. So here, here we go. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. In other words, uh, respect their leadership role in your relationship. So that if any of them do not believe the word, so that, there you go, the, you've got a husband who's a non-believer, they may be won over, now catch this, <clears throat> they'll be won over without words. He says, you're, if you're married to a non-believer, <clears throat> that what's going to be most powerful influence them is not necessarily your words, it's your behavior, your lifestyle. So they'll be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And then he goes on and talks about what an attractive wife looks like, inner beauty and that whole thing. Now, this is important because if you're married to a non-believer, one of the ways to influence them is you need to give them their space. And I think that's what Peter is saying here. There's always a temptation when we're married to a non-believer to try to argue them into the kingdom, Right? We're going to convince them into the kingdom. And so we're going to, the temptation is to rely on our words to influence. Notice what, what, what Peter says here. It's not the words to rely on. We're to rely on our behavior, on the type of person we are. In other words, if you're a wife, be the best wife you can be. Be a great wife. If you're a husband, be a great husband you know, to your wife. Rely on the behavior, not the words. And this is so important. Because many times we, we forget this. We forget how painful it is for the non-believer, when the spouse becomes a Christian. Now, see, this is something, we're always looking at from our perspective. You know, you know someone who they've come to Christ and their spouse isn't, our hearts go out to them. We know how painful that is, right? That's so hard for you. But many times we forget how hard it is for their spouse. I mean, they married a pagan <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> if they wanted a Jesus freak they would have come to Rocky Peak. <laughs> they didn't want a Jesus freak. They wanted a certifiable pagan when they got married. Now, there's different kinds of pagans, different varieties. You should go down the pagan aisle. You know? But they married a pagan. They like it that way. They want it that way. They want their old pagan back. You know? Who is this person I'm married to? We used to go get high together. You know, we used to get drunk together. We used to party together. Where is that person? Who took my wife? Who took my husband? Are you an alien? Where are you from? We don't look at it for like this angle, but it's really true, isn't it? 
It's that they lie. So Lynn and I have a friend who came to Christ a few years ago and and uh, his friend was married and they'd been married for a long time and it was a really bad marriage. But the only way that they would connect, the only way they would connect in the marriage, well, they'd connect over illicit things. So they, for example, they would watch pornographic movies together and connect that way. They would connect uh, getting drunk together, partying together. They would connect, uh, connect uh, smoking pot together. And so it was a bad marriage, but the best part of the marriage where they connected the most was in these illicit things. And now our friend comes to Christ, and guess what? Guess what? It's like the means of connection is now gone. And the spouse doesn't know what to do. And they're constantly trying to get the friend to come. Hey, let's do the movie thing. Let's do the pot thing. Let's do that. They've lost their partner, you see. And so because of this, Peter's advice to husbands and wives is don't depend on your words. It's going to drive them crazy. You know, you, you're always talking about Jesus. You're always trying to slip in a little thing here or get something there or argue them in. It's like, he says, just give them their space. This is a hard thing. It's hard to be married to a Jesus follower when you're not a Jesus follower. He says, give them their space. He says, but let your influence be from your behavior, not so much your words. Don't try to argue, man. Just be a great wife. Be a great husband. And, and let that be the influence. Now, does this always work? No, it doesn't always work. In fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul acknowledges this. He says, sometimes it's not going to work. And verse 15, he says, sometimes the unbeliever may leave. They want to get a divorce. And so he says, if the unbeliever leaves... Let him do so. So in other words, if you're, you're married to an unbeliever and they want to get a divorce and they want to leave, let them go. Um, just make sure that they're not leaving because you're just being you know, irritating with your new faith. But make sure they're leaving because they just can't take your commitment to Christ. They can't take your new values. But they're not leaving because you're being a bad spouse. You see? And so uh, if you're in the marriage to a non-believer, he says, stay, serve them well in the hopes that they will be saved. Now, there's one more category here. And that's, of course, if you're single. Many of us here in this room are single. You may be uh, single, never married. You may be uh, single, once married. You may be single that you got through a divorce. You may be single that you lost uh, a spouse through death. And so what is his advice? And uh, hang with me here as well. But here's his advice. Make the most of it. If you're single, make the most of it. Now, now can I say something? I, you know, I worked with single adults for 10 years. Single, being single for most single adults is a painful state of affairs. That there's a loneliness that goes with that that just doesn't go away. It's just hard being single. Paul understands that. This is not saying like uh, count your blessings, you know. Hey, you're single, count your blessings. He's not saying that. He's saying make the most of it. What he wants us to understand is that when we're single, that we have certain freedoms that we don't have when we're married. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And so whether you're single right now because it's a lifetime calling, like God's called you to be single, you've chosen that, or whether it's a temporary assignment, hopefully, where you're, temp- you're, you're, you're temporarily, you're, you're single, 
and you're hoping that God brings the right person, but he hasn't brought them yet. Either way, he says, make the most of the time you have. Don't put your life on hold. This is one of the things that happens. From working with single adults, I've seen this over and again, that many single adults put their life on hold. Deep inside, they believe that I cannot be really happy unless I'm married. And so all their energy and thinking is going towards how can I get married? Because I can't be happy until I'm married. And this is what Paul says, don't make that mistake. There's tremendous value and freedom that you have right now. Make the most of it. Um, Make the most of this time. And so to help us understand this freedom, he gives us a few verses. Let's turn to chapter 7 and look at verse 32. We haven't looked at this passage yet, these verses yet. In 732, he says, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. Notice the word free. It's, he says, there's a freedom that comes from being single. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man, hey, he's concerned about the affairs of this world, this life, how he can please his wife. Now, isn't that true? You know, if you're married, you have mixed uh, loyalties, so to speak, or you, you want to serve the Lord and please the Lord. You want to be growing, but you have your wife there, and you need to be looking out for her interests as well. And so there's many times where you say, hey, I would like to go serve here, but you need to say, you know, I can't do that. I need to spend some time with my wife, right? I need to take care of that relationship. And nothing wrong with that. It's just a fact of life. He says, um, uh, and his interests are divided, 34. Now, same with a woman, unmarried woman or a virgin. She's concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Nothing wrong with it, just a fact of life. And he says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Now, you have both options, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion. So we all know what this is, right? We've all had times in our life where you say, I would love to go to that, the second life group, or I would love to serve in this ministry. And uh, uh, I would love to go next Saturday and help build this house thing, but I've been away on business for three weeks and I need to spend some time with my wife or my husband. We all have those kinds of things, right? And Paul says, it's just the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says, but while you're single, you have freedom. While you're single, you have options. So be slow to give up those options. Make sure that if you get married, you're really looking at that, what that's about. Make sure it's the right person, the right time, the right way. Make sure this is what God's calling you to because you have tremendous freedoms. Now, let me just say this. One category that the Apostle Paul doesn't address here are single parents. And I just want to acknowledge this. If you're a single parent, you've got one of the toughest assignments in all of life. And it's a really hard thing. And so he's not really addressing that, but I just want to say this, that um, even as a single parent, even if you have custody of your children, that there will be areas of your life where you have freedom over a married uh, couple. And so all it's always saying is that, um, that we'd make the most of this. And so I just want to challenge you. If you're a single adult, I'm going to challenge you. Don't put your life on hold. God has a plan for your life. He didn't miss a turn somewhere. You know, If you're single right now, if he's not brought to the person that you feel like he's calling you to be married, then you're single for a purpose. And here's the thing is that the moment that you submit your life and your plans for your life to Christ, and you say, okay, this is not what I choose, that I would choose to be married, but I, I know I'm not married, and there's no one even on the radar right now, no one on the horizon. 
And it's not the way I choose it, but I'm going to accept that God has a plan for my life. And instead of making my life all about finding a spouse, I'm going to make my life all about knowing him and pursuing him and about becoming the person that he's created me to be and about finding out his purpose for my life and about developing my gifts and developing a heart of service. I can tell you that the moment that day happens in your life, you switch from the one paradigm to the other paradigm is the day your life is going to take off. And I've seen this over and over again and working with single adults for 10 years that there comes a point where a person has to say, do I really believe God is in control of my life? And if if he really is, and he's not chosen to have me married right now, then that's there for a purpose. And what is that purpose, God? And I want to live for you, and I want to seek you, and I want to find out that purpose. That day is a day of transformation in your life. It, your life will take on new meaning, and new energy, and new power, and new fulfillment as you, as you kind of give up the lie that the, your quality of life will be determined by your marital status. So that's the lie that Satan wants to tell you. So the Apostle Paul, some great, great advice for us here as a church. Uh, He says, if you're married, you're at Rocky Peak, congregation, you're married to each other, make it a top priority. Don't take your marriage for granted. Make it work. Seek solutions. Work it out. Hey, if you're married to a non-believer, yes, it's hard, but stay and serve. And if you're single, think long and hard before you just assume you're going to get married. Look at the options. But if you do get married and wait for the right person, the right time, they have to belong to the Lord so you can serve him well. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this beautiful book that you've given us, this incredible letter, just page after page of just practical life. Here's how to do life and here's the reasons why. And Lord, we're so thankful for, uh, for our church here and that we can be studying this together. We pray, Lord, we want to pray. I want to pray especially for those marriages that really are in trouble and they know it and it's even awkward even being here just listening to this. And yet, Lord, I pray that, that this message would give them hope that as they hunker down, as they make a fresh commitment and as they both make a commitment to engage in the process, that you can do a healing in their marriage. God, for those who are married to non-believers, we pray that as a congregation, we pray for them right now, you'd strengthen their resolve that they would serve well in a very difficult situation and teach them how to be an influence more by their behavior than by their words. And Father, for those of us, many of us here who are single adults or in a place of perhaps pain, wanting to be married, will you give us the confidence that you have a plan for our life and as we submit to you, you will set us free and that there will be fulfillment, whether that means fulfillment in marriage or fulfillment uh, in being single, that you are the author of fulfillment. You know how to meet our needs. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Glorious reign over us. So anyway, when Jesus comes into our life, he, he reigns over the whole thing. You know, we often want to compartmentalize him. But he's, he really wants to reign over the whole thing. And there's really no area that's more important than reigning over who we are in terms of our relationships with the opposite sex, our sexuality, our marriages, our singleness. And um, so he comes to us today, and the false teaching was, is that, oh, God isn't into sex. No, God isn't into marriage. Get rid of it. Get away from that. Run from it. Paul says, no, that's not it at all. No, God created these things. They're all good. But here's what he is into. If you're married, make it work. If you're single, serve him until he brings the right person along. If you're married to a non-believer, serve well, even though it's hard. And that's what it means to have Jesus reign over us. 
in these areas of our life. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great uh, weekend, and we'll see you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>